Thank you for being here. I'm glad to see everyone. For those joining us online, welcome. I know I hear from people every week for different reasons. They're not able to make it, and we're able to uh, provide this live service um, online. And so, welcome. And for you that are here, we're happy to have you. I want to mention some um, announcements, and I'm going to go fairly quick. Uh, young Adults Ministry will be meeting today. We didn't meet last week, and so we're meeting today. We're trying to do every other week. So if you are over 18 or so and under 30-something, we uh, hope to see you here tonight at 6 o'clock here at church. I want to mention that growth groups registration should be open. If it's not, it's because many of us, including myself, of course, have been kind of on vacation. But uh, uh, you want to start considering what group you want to be in. And um, we want to encourage you to make sure that you, <clears throat> if at all possible, sign up to be part of a growth group. And when you're signed up to a growth group, I hope you're engaged and you're, you're all in in trying to seek the Lord and being a good brother or sister to that group of people, getting to know them, going out on a limb, maybe for some of you, taking a step of faith and saying, here I am, <clears throat> I need to get closer to the Lord, I'm broken, I'm in need, and, uh, and I want to grow, and I want to grow with you. That would be an awesome attitude to have going into our growth groups. So um, all of August, basically, we'll have an opportunity to sign up. If you have any questions ever, let me know. Um, my, my true desire would be that anyone who considers Crosspoint their home church would be in a growth group, okay? For your benefit and for God's kingdom. Lastly, we hope to have baptisms next week, uh, Sunday the 18th, and if you are not baptized, and if you have not publicly proclaimed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would uh, highly encourage you to do so. But if you have any questions about that, you can see me, you can see any of our elders, our growth group leaders. Uh, I know of some people that are inquiring, some people that have told me they're ready to get baptized, and so we're making this possible this coming week. You can get baptized anytime, but uh, I think for practical purposes, whenever somebody or there's a few that want to get baptized, uh, we make that happen. That will be next week then. That's it for announcements. This morning, I would love to take communion with you. If you didn't get one of these cups on your way in and you want to participate in taking communion with us, you may raise your hand and we'll have a runner come around and, and provide you one. And I want to take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. Very important verse, very clear verse, and unfortunately, the truth told here is not something that we see out in this world when it comes to faith and believe in God. So here the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in his first letter, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. One God. That's certainly not something that we see out in this world, right? Uh, but there's only one true God and 
just as important to that. It says that there's only one mediator, one in-between, one person that can be in-between this God of the Bible who is holy, perfect, eternal, and men. We could include their sinful, fallen men. So there's a holy and perfect God, and then there's men, there's sin that separates us from God, but there is one mediator between God and men, one that can mediate, one that can go on our behalf and God's behalf to meet, and that will be Christ Jesus. And specifically, verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Not only is he the mediator, but he is the mediator because he is the God-man, and he offered himself at the cross of Calvary on our behalf, satisfying God's perfect and holy justice and taking our place and taking our punishment and taking our shame at the cross, a ransom, a payment for us. I love that. That is the truth of the gospel, that there is one God, perfect and holy, who cannot stand the sight of sin, and then there we are, sinful, fallen human beings in need of forgiveness and a new start. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, provides us that through his atoning work at the cross. And every time we, as we peel back this first layer, Every time we partake of this, we are remembering and we are proclaiming that we believe that this bread represents the body, the sinless body of our Lord Jesus Christ that hung on that cross on our behalf. Let's take that together. As you peel back the second layer there. You see the Jews that represents the precious blood, the very payment, Christ's life that was shed on that cross on our behalf and through which we receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Let's take that together. Let's go ahead and pray. Next week we're going to sing Standing on the Promise. You can start practicing. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this beautiful morning, and we're grateful as we make remembrance of what you did for us through your son Jesus at the cross of Calvary. Father, that we would never grow weary of remembering and proclaiming your love that was willing to give up your only begotten in order that he would take on flesh and live a perfect life and then offer it as a payment a ransom for us. We thank you for that. We pray that that truth would transform our lives daily in order that we would glorify your holy name. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here in person, online, for those who will be listening to this message later via recording. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us, that you would teach us in order that we will be transformed. For your glory. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, beloved, this morning I'm uh, privileged to be able to share God's word with you.
Um, I will mention to you quickly that as you walked in, you had the opportunity to pick up a little form, a, a worksheet, a worksheet for you to follow along or just to have it maybe later on uh, fill out. It's got all the verses that I'm going to be using on every point. This morning I have five points that I want to share with you. That's why we're hurrying. And each one of those points has three verses. And uh, all those verses will be already on your outline, at least the, the, uh, the sites where you'll find the verses. And the points are there. Um, and uh, the idea is just for you to be able to follow along. Maybe if you have a uh, tendency to wander uh, while, the, while the preacher is preaching, uh, maybe this will help. Uh, I asked you to, you know, last week we tried it for the first time, and I said, uh, reach out to me. Let me know if this is something that's helpful. Uh, two of you did. I appreciate that. One of them was my daughter. And so the fact that she told me that it helped her and she enjoyed it, and I saw her notes, and I was really impressed. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust that everybody else just, they're a quiet bunch, and, but uh, maybe they do appreciate it, and it will help them. So my prayer is that it will help you. We'll see. This morning, uh, we continue our messages based on Luke. I believe it will be today and then tomorrow, uh, next week, next Sunday, I hope to be able to finish chapter 8 of Luke. We're not in a hurry, but I think this is the fifth message on chapter 8 of Luke. And so, um, I'm pretty sure we'll be done with Luke in this decade. Should it, we shouldn't run into the 30s, 2030s. We'll be done before we know it, Lord willing. So this morning, the message is entitled, Go and Tell. Go and Tell. We're going to read Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. It's a, it's a uh, portion that I preached on this maybe, I don't know, maybe a year ago. Um, but every time I read a portion of Scripture, especially if I'm studying it and, and if I'm studying it to preach on it, I find that there's so much to teach on any portion of Scripture that there's... Never any need for me to repeat a sermon. I find that kind of interesting, a little funny when people repeat sermons. Uh, I can understand if they have something really great and they go out in different churches and preach. But as far as for me, you know what I do with my notes every, once I'm done, I, I tear them up. Um, of course, now I have them on a computer, so it's not like I'm doing a great thing there. But uh, all I'm saying is that anytime we approach the scriptures, we, shouldn't, we should come to the scriptures knowing that the Holy Spirit can and if our attitude is right, he will reveal not necessarily new things. They've always been there. But what I find is that my understanding of Scripture and my understanding of God, if I've been in the Word, then I'm not in the same place that I was the last time I read that same Scripture. And so God is able to, to continually teach us even from the same portions. And I think that's super exciting. I mean, I... As a preacher, somebody once asked me, like, how do you choose your material? Like, how do you, I go, I go online and I just copy somebody, and I'm kidding. Uh, you just read scripture, and it's, I, I find it to be so incredibly rich. You know, we talked about uh, this, this last song, the scandal of grace, and Jesus, it's all about you. I get to preach and talk to you about Jesus, my Lord. I love that. I'm so privileged. And so this morning, we're going to see, in essence, the Lord Jesus Christ displaying his power over the demonic realm. Last week, we saw the Lord Jesus Christ displaying his power over nature when there was a storm and the disciples thought they were drowning, they were panicking, and the Lord just gets up out of sleep and 
rebukes the wind and the waves, and immediately they obey him. That's amazing. And uh, here we're going to see how even demons, lots of them at a time, obey him and they're subject to him. How that all works, I don't know and I don't want to know. Uh, it, it's, it's very interesting. And I, I, I remember as a child growing up in church, anytime anybody talked about demons, demon possessions, and the, you know, the spiritual realm, and as far as the, the demonic realm, it was very interesting. I never wanted to get into it, but it was super interesting. But the older I get, and I was going to say the more mature, the less immature I become, how's that? Um, I have less interest getting into the whole demonic realm. Um, but it's in Scripture, and it suffices to me to know that Christ is Lord completely over that entire realm. So we're going to take a look at that in Luke 8, 26 to 40. The main point this morning is this. God is glorified through our testimony of his power and love in our lives. As we testify of what God has done, his power and his love in our lives, he's glorified. And so this morning, the title again is Go and Tell. And it, it, we're gonna, we draw, we, I drew that out of this portion, but it's a call for us to, to really consider what God wants us to do. If he has displayed his power and his love in your life, then he will tell us, as he told this man, go and tell it. Don't keep it. Tell it. And, my, and so my hope is that we will be encouraged to go and tell what God has done in our lives for his honor and for his glory. So let me read that, Luke 8, 26 through 40. And here's what I want to do, actually. So what I want to do is a little bit different. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this portion. I'm going to make some comments, kind of like a running commentary on this portion. And then when we finish that, we're then going to get into our five points. All right? You're thinking there's no way he's going to be able to do that in the 31 minutes that he has left. But yes, we are. Here we go. So let's start here in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. This picks up immediately from last week where the Lord stilled and calmed the sea, the raging sea, with the power of his word. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out of the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house but in tombs. You get the picture of this dire situation of a man. And actually, if you read Mark and Matthew, there was two of them, but apparently this man was probably the more outstanding individual. For a long time, how many, how, how long? Maybe years. It says that he didn't live in a house, he lived in the tombs, among tombs. And he wore no clothes. Like an animal. Like a wild beast. Naked, living among the tombs for a long time. But he had belonged to this town and everybody knew him and about him. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Super interesting. Every time demons are mentioned and are quoted in Scripture, you know their theology is right? 
they knew who Jesus was. The religious leaders of that time didn't know who Jesus was. The demons knew exactly who he was. And they would worship him. They would recognize him as the son of God, the son of the most high God. And the demon said, I beg you, do not torment me. They understood that Jesus had the power to torment them. He had authority over them. And they beg Jesus. Verse 29, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it, the demon, had often seized the man, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. But he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Can you just imagine that? They would arrest him. They would bind him with ropes and chains and shackles. And because he was demon-possessed, he had the supernatural power. He would break those chains and shackles. And this is very interesting to me this week. This man, demon-possessed, had lots of physical power. Maybe more than anybody else around. Could break those shackles. He was a strong individual. Physically speaking. And then look at what the demons would do. They would drive him into the wilderness, solitude, away from everybody else. This is a quick commercial for growth groups. If you think that you don't need growth groups, look what demons do. They possess a person and they drive them away from everybody else in solitude. Christians are supposed to be together, growing together, exposing their ugliness, willing to say, I'm broken and I'm messed up and I need help, instead of out there by yourself, maybe being strong on your own strength, but away from the community of Christ. So if you think that you don't need growth groups or you don't need accountability partners or you don't need mentors, I've said this before, you're falling right into the hands of the enemy. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he, the demon, said, legion, because many demons had entered him. He's saying, we're many, that's my name. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. We won't get into that. But I did get into that a little bit with our growth group class as we study First and Second Peter. There are demons that behaved out of their God-given bounds here on earth, and they were sent into the abyss. Verse 32, Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountains, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And Jesus permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Mark makes a mention that they were about 2,000 pigs, 2,000 swine, demon-possessed, and they violently run into the, the lake, and they all drown. Can you imagine 2,000 swine floating around? Verse 34, when those who had fed them saw that what had happened, they fled and told in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened, 
And they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. I get emotional thinking about that, beloved. And they were afraid. Here's a man that for perhaps years lived like a wild beast, naked among tombs, crazy, scaring everybody. And then he has an encounter with our Lord, the one who is Lord over demons. And when people come and see, they find him, and I love this, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Clothed and in his right mind, completely different, completely transformed. And they were afraid. That's super interesting. People came and they saw the man. They saw that he's now clothed. He's in his right mind. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening attentively. And the people were afraid of that. I'll just quickly mention that when the Lord gets a hold of you, you shouldn't be surprised that people around you become afraid of you. Now, they're not going to say they're afraid of you, but they're going to act jealously. They're going to resent you. They're not going to want to hang around with you. They're going to blame you for stuff. And you shouldn't be, that shouldn't catch you by surprise. You should know that. They also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Meaning the ones that were eyewitnesses told everybody else, yeah, he's like that, but it's because Jesus commanded the demons out of him. So it was the Lord that did that. And look at the reaction. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them. They say, what? You healed this man? You transformed him? And you would think they would say, like, welcome to our city. Stick around. Continue to help us. No. They asked Jesus to depart. They wanted nothing to do with him. It says, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat, and he left. He returned. The whole city asked him to leave. Verse 38, now the man from whom the demons had departed, begged him, Jesus, that he might be with him. He wanted to follow the Lord. He said, well, you guys are leaving. Take me with you. I owe you everything. And look at what Jesus says. But Jesus sent him away, saying to him, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city, what great things Jesus had done for him. And so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. I love this story. Here's a man who had no hope. He was possessed possibly by thousands of demons. You can't even understand that. And he's healed with the power of Christ's word. And he wants to devote his life in following Jesus. And the Lord says, nope, I don't want you to come with us. I want you to go back home. And I want you to tell everybody, all your friends, 
all your relatives, everybody that knew everything about you, that saw you naked running around in the tombs, and I want you to tell him everything I've done for you. And what does he do? He renews his passport, and instead, he, he goes, he obeys, and he goes and tells everybody what Christ has done. Can I say to you that that attitude should be normal for us? If you've had an experience with Jesus Christ, and you have been transformed, and you understand even a little bit of who he is and what he's done for you, nobody has to tell you to go and tell what Christ has done. But I'm going to do it anyway, right? That's why the sermon is titled, Go and Tell. There are so many things that we allow to get in the way, beloved. And I believe if you're a Christian, if you're a true believer, it is in your heart to want to tell people who he is and what he's done. And this is not where I wanted to emphasize. But if we're not doing that, it's what we read back in the parable of the sower. We allow things, the troubles of this life. We allow things to get in the way but we forget what is most important. And we're in danger of forgetting what Christ has done if Christ indeed has done something in our lives. The Apostle Paul says, work out your own salvation with trembling and with fear. This whole subject of being saved from our sins is a very serious one. We should never take it as something light. Or yeah, you know, Jesus saved me 30 years ago. And then we would say, and who have you told? How have you dedicated your life to telling people about Christ? How, how are you glorifying him through your life, through what he's done for you? What is his manifestation of his power and love in your life? And if you're sitting there thinking, and I think all of us probably are, well, I believe God is great, and I believe in his love and power, but frankly, Mike, in my life, it just doesn't show What I will submit to you that it's not that God is no longer loving, nor is he no longer powerful. But again, I truly believe that we get in the way. We have to have the attitude that John the Baptist had. He must increase and I must decrease. And as long as we have the opposite attitude of us seeking to increase, then God is not increasing in our lives. Because we should be thankful, we should be amazed, and we should be fearful even of God and his power and his love for us to the point where we could, can't help it but share. And I know that a lot of times there's a lot of shame when you hear that from the preacher. And I certainly feel it. Do I go and tell as much as I should and could? Certainly not. But I don't want to stay there. I don't want to stay there. I want to ask, why aren't I? Do I not think that God is that awesome? Or, or is it that I find other things so interesting and appealing and gratifying in my life that I'd rather speak about those? And I think that's probably where most of us are. We find it easier to talk about our work, and we find it easier to talk about our hobbies, and we find it easier to talk about our experiences, and then we shy away, unfortunately, from what God has done for us. And that is a shame. We should be ashamed of ourselves. And... We should be willing to do something about it, all right?
that we should start with getting on our knees, for asking for forgiveness and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I've made this life about me instead of about you. And I would say we're probably all, all there. So don't, don't beat yourself up more than what you need to. Beat yourself up a little bit. But then get yourself on your knees. Ask for forgiveness. And let's go forward. Let's go and tell. So what has God done for me? Let's start our sermon now. All right, our message. I'm kidding. It's all part of the message. But I do want to share these five points of what has God done for me. I'm excited about this because and I, I, I'm excited about the fact that you're going to have all these notes because these 15 verses that I'm about to share with you should be verses that are very familiar to you. Very familiar to you. So I'm probably not going to read many verses that are new to you, but these are verses I'm saying that you should be very familiar with. And you're going to have them here if you've got a sheet there with you or if you pick one up on your way out. You're going to have those to study them, to get familiar with those, and to let the Holy Spirit transform you through them and just empower you to go out and tell. So my five points this morning is, since Jesus tells this man, go back and tell of everything that I've done, and I believe he tells us the same thing as he says that we are his witnesses and we are to go out and make disciples. So the question is, what has God done for you? Point number one. He created me. He created me. You know, Christians should be philosophers. As in people that think about things. Like, who are you? And how did you come to be? Why were you born in this era under the parents that you had? Like, who are you? The fact that he created me, I find that to be, and I think you have to start there. Kind of like what they say, if you, if you have a problem with Genesis 1-1, you're probably going to have a problem with the rest of the Bible. But if you could accept Genesis 1-1, you're probably going to be able to accept the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But if you don't have that down, oh boy, you're going to have some trouble. So I want to start with the fact that what has he done for me? He created me. I didn't have to exist. I mean, think about it. I love the fact that these uh, astronomers... You know, they, they, they build this new telescope and they send it out in orbit millions of miles from the earth and they take some amazing pictures. And then they, they look at each other like, wow, did you know it was this? We knew it was awesome, but we didn't know the universe was this awesome. We knew it was big, but we didn't know it was that big. We did. We already knew that. Not to the extent and with the detail, but I, I love the fact that God is awesome. He... And, and when you think about the universe and the galaxy and the millions and billions of galaxies, which is amazing, and you think about planet Earth, how tiny and, and seemingly insignificant it is in the scope of things, one little rock with life on it, and then you think about the fact that in that planet, there we are, one person, one person in this one huge planet. I mean, who am I? that God will be mindful of me. Like, who are we? In the scope of things, I am insignificant. And the only value that I have is the fact that God created me, and he created me in his own image. You have to start there, I believe. So let me share some verses about that. Jeremiah 1.5. Jeremiah says, before I, sorry, God is talking to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God says, I formed you in the womb. Psalms 139, verses 13 through 15. The psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Giving God credit for creating us. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. You know, in your, in your, um, in your worksheet, I put a little question there for food for thought, which is, how is this truth being challenged in your culture? For you to think about it. How is this truth that God created me is being challenged in this culture? Think about that. But let's go to the second point. What has God done for me? Not only did he create me, but he loved me. God, the maker, creator of the universe, loved me and loves me. John 3.16 is a verse that we should all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves me. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified together with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And listen to this description of Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. A Christian is one who understands that not only did Jesus die and love the world, but he loved and died for you. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died on that cross, that painful and shameful death, before you were even born, but he did that for you. What has God done for me? He created me. He loved me. Point number three, he saved me. He saved me. Titus 3, 5. It says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Not of anything that we did, but despite of us, he saved us. Ephesians 2.8 says that by grace we have been saved through faith and that it is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. God saves us by grace through faith. And 1 Timothy 1.15 says this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, number one, Paul says. Isn't that amazing? He created us. He loved us. He saved us. Verse number four, I want to spend a little more time on this one. He transformed us. He transformed us, or he transformed me. And this is where our testimony in the eyes of other people gains strength. 
in our transformation. This demon-possessed individual, everybody knew who he was. There was no doubt that this man was out of his mind, that he was possessed, that he was lost and living like a wild beast. Somebody that was created in God's image was now running around naked among the tombs, and everybody knew it. And even among the efforts, the human efforts of to, to tie him and bind him and try to restore him and whatever they were trying to do, none of that worked. But the instant that he has an encounter with Jesus, he's healed completely. And so here, our transformation is what gives strength in other people's eyes, gives our testimony strength. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what they saw in this man. They saw him. He's like, wait a minute. He's wearing clothes. He's not running around the tombs. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's not acting all crazy. He's not demon-possessed. There was a complete transformation. A new creation was born. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, read a couple verses before that. Paul says, man, some of you guys were drunks, adulterers. He, he, he lists several sins, disobedient, and it's not an all-inclusive. But you know, a Christian should be able to look back and say, like, you know, I used to be proud. I used to be arrogant. You know, I couldn't forgive anyone for anything. I always wanted to get my revenge Man, I used, to, I used to steal at work thinking that I could get ahead. I used to talk bad about people. I used to fill in the blank. Beloved, be honest. Who were you before Christ? And if you're thinking like, well, Mike, you know, I, I, never, I never really went into the world. You don't have to go in the world. You have sin in you. You're born with that. You're a liar, cheater. What were you? I think the problem is sometimes we either forget or we've never really been honest with ourselves as to who we were before Christ. And I'm always reminded of the story of Lazarus. Martha and Mary's sister who, was, who died was buried four days in the tomb and he stank. And Jesus says to Martha, remove the stone. And what does Martha say? Oh, no, Lord. It's embarrassing. Smells in there. It stinketh. Hey, you know, if they wouldn't have removed the stone, what would have happened? What, ha what would have happened if they wouldn't have removed the stone and exposed the ugliness? Well, I don't know either, because I think the Lord's going to raise them anyway. But the point is, unless you remove the you're willing to remove the stone, and I'm talking to you who are still hiding your sin, 
and thinking that you're getting away with it or thinking that, well, you know, it's been years. Maybe God doesn't mind. I'll tell you, God minds. He minds a lot. You know, I'm speaking to everybody here. He minds a lot. And there's nothing that will not go unpunished. And there's no sin for which we will not pay consequences. And yes, Christ died for that sin too. But if you're harboring sin and you're thinking you're getting away with it, you're making, trying to make a mockery out of God, and he will not be mocked or played with or made a fool. We need to deal with our sin. We need to be honest, and we need to be willing to give it to the Lord and expose it and say, Lord, sorry, here's my ugliness. And by the way, as ugly as you think your sin is, it's worse. If you feel really bad about your sin, you should feel worse about it. If it troubles you and it bothers you, you have no idea how much it bothers God. And that's why we should be concerned about our sin. I'm talking about every sin, so I'm talking to all of us. We have to be willing to be honest so that we could see the transformation, beloved. And, and don't settle. Don't settle by saying things like, well, you know who, how I am. Well, what happened to being a new creature in Christ? What happened to being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us? Mike, are you saying we should be perfect? That would be great, but it's not going to happen. And what I keep saying to you is, look, we all have sin in our lives, but are you battling that sin? Do you have mentors? Do you have accountability partners? Are you having conversations with the Lord and with other people about your sin? Are you, are you setting boundaries for yourself? If you're not, then, yeah, you're, you're in the wrong He transformed me. Colossians 1.13, last verse on that transformation part. says, He has delivered us. Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Christians, we have no excuse to say, I can't help myself. You don't want to help yourself. My pastor used to tell us that. You know, you know why you sin? You know why you still sin as a Christian? And, and I'll always be like, well, it's because Adam sinned and we're born with sin. And, you know, the, the world is very sinful. And, and he would just put things very plainly. You know why you still sin? Because you like your sin. Let's start there by being honest. You like your sin. That's why you sin. That's why you're willing to pay the consequences of your sin. So repentance comes in in saying, okay, I, I do like my sin. That's why I do that. But it hinders my relationship with Christ. It's a problem in my life as a Christian. And I should be concerned with the fact that God does not approve of my behavior or my whatever. And then that's where surrender comes in. That's where calling him Lord comes in where you have to make a decision whether you're going to live your life as you want to or you're going to make him the Lord of your life. You're going to do what he wants you to do. And your flesh is going to say, like, but I don't want to. But you have to. You have to. If you want to glorify God with our lives. I'm speaking to all of us. Because he has already delivered us from the power of darkness. There's nothing that the demonic realm, this fallen world and even your flesh has over you 
other than what you're willing to give it or them. That's the power of Christ in us. To me, that's exciting because there's no sin in my life for which I can just give up and say, like, well, you know how I am. There he goes again. I knew it. We're being weak, and we're standing on our own strength instead of surrendering to him and allowing him to work in our lives. He transformed me. And last thing, point number five, as we go and tell, he has prepared a place for me. John 14, 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If there was not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. Jesus said that to his disciples, and he says that to us. There is a place prepared for us. Philippians 3, 20, the apostle Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're citizens of heaven. He has prepared a place for us. And 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this body, this physical body, that you adore and love and take care of and whatever else you do or not, for we know that this earthly house, this tent, it's destroyed we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We will receive a new body. This one will be done away with. Why? Because he has prepared a place for me. Beloved, go and tell. Go and tell. What has God done for you? Maybe we have to do a little bit of work and say, you know, I never really thought about what God has done for me. I mean, what do you tell people? I know, what the, I know what the demon-possessed man used to tell people for sure. At least from what we read here, I'm pretty sure he would go to people and say, like, you know who I am? No, I've never seen you before. Well, let me tell you, I used to be demon-possessed by thousands of demons. And I used to run around crazy, naked around monk tombs. And when people tried to help me, they couldn't because I was too strong. Those demons used to drive me into the wilderness. I thought I was lost. I thought I was hopeless until I met Jesus. And you know what? With the power of his word, he transformed me. He cast out the demons, and the demons obeyed him. And he gave me a sound mind and a love for him. And now, you know what I want to do? I want to follow him. But then he told me no. I couldn't go after him, but he told me to go back and tell everybody. So here I am telling you what Jesus has done for me. I know it's easier said than done, but beloved, what else are we going to do with our lives that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ who God became flesh for and lived a perfect life and then died a painful and shameful death on our behalf? What else are we going to do? Ignore that and just live our normal lives so that our lives look like everybody else's? That's a shame to our church, beloved. We should be radically different from everybody else who doesn't know Christ. Let's work on that. Go and tell on your sheet. It's the last thing I'll say. On your sheet, there's, there's, so every point has a thought-provoking question or a self-analyzing question. And then at the end it says, who are some specific people that God would want you to go and tell your story to? And it has six slots. Feel free to write it down and use the back. But really think about it. It's be intentional about going and telling. Being obedient to what the Lord has for us. Be intentional. Write the names down. Be in prayer for those people. And then think about what God wants you to share. Think about your life. What is your testimony? What did God save you from? What has he done in your life? What is he doing in your life? 
and then let's go and let's tell. All right? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we're grateful to you for allowing us this time, meditating in your word, thinking and talking about the great things that you have done for all of us. We're grateful, we are undeserving, and we want to be obedient to your command for us to go and make disciples, to go and tell of the great things that you have done for us. We pray for forgiveness for maybe we don't give that enough thought. We don't realize the importance of that. We pray for forgiveness if our testimony does not back up what we profess. That is a problem. And all of us, to a certain extent, have that level of hypocrisy in our lives. And we want that to be done away with. We want to live lives that are continually transformed for your honor and glory, that our lives will resemble that of Christ our Lord. You have done great things for us. Help us to go and tell. Dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.